Hello, everyone. Welcome. So glad that you have tuned in, particularly if this is your first time. Maybe you've never been along to one of our Sunday services or you never tuned in to watch us uh, here on YouTube or on our website before. So great to have you with us. Uh, if you have any questions at all, then uh, feel free to leave a comment on our uh, YouTube channel or send us an email or message via one of our social media accounts and we'd love to answer and help you in any way that we can. Uh, you may have noticed if you have been watching in previous weeks that we've got a new uh, set behind us, uh, a new uh, living room, because uh, I'm now in a sort of church lockdown. I just live here. If the camera's pointed the other way, you'd see my hot tub and my fridge and my snooker table. I'm obviously joking. Uh, this is some furniture that's been kindly uh, donated to us to make our our uh, studio feel like a little more of a living room experience. So I hope if you're watching this at home in your own living rooms, you can grab yourself a, a coffee and a croissant and uh, enjoy being with us this morning. Uh, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is a, an ancient statement of belief going back um, probably about 1,800 years, perhaps even even longer that uh, tries to kind of crystallize uh, the Christian faith in just a few short paragraphs. And we've been going through it um, as we've been down in this lockdown corona season. And we've been doing it for two reasons. First of all, uh, because we want to gain strength in this season. We need strength to work through some of the challenges, some of the fears, worries that we're having to live through we need some strength in this season. And the number one place that you will find strength is in God, in knowing him uh, and in his word. And the Apostles' Creed helps to give us some strength in him. And also, the second reason is it not only to give us strength, but it helps us to go deeper into him. Many of you will find that in this season, you might have some more time, perhaps some more opportunity to, to spend that time in all sorts of different ways, and we'd encourage you to spend that time in going deeper into God, deeper into the riches, the wonder, the majesty, the glory of who God is, and let him come alive in your hearts. And the Apostles' Creed is going to help us and help you to do that. Uh, and we're carrying on this week, and the statement we're looking at this week is, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And uh, the passage from the Bible that is going to help us this week to understand that is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So wherever you're watching this, if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, then why don't you find Luke chapter 1, and whoever you're watching this with, uh, if you want to read from verse 26 to 38, and then when you're done reading, maybe pray together, uh, and then we can come back together. So why don't you just press pause on your video now and do that. Okay, welcome back. Uh, in this season, uh, with this corona season, I want you to imagine for a moment that perhaps what if there was, there was no immunity was possible 
By that I mean that once you had it, you could then just get it again and again. I kind of have a bit of a terrifying thought. I know. Uh, and the only thing then we'd have to trust on is we could have lo put lots of measures, lots of mitigations, lots of rules in place to try and protect us. But really our only hope would be a vaccine, a final vaccine to, to vaccinate us and protect, protect all of us. Um, now, you've probably got some corona fatigue, some corona fear, perhaps. Um, and then don't worry, that's, it's not our theme today. We're not going to be talking uh, directly about the issue of corona today. What we are going to talk about is that there is a, a worse virus, a worse plague, a horrible curse that plagues all of us. Because in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, we read the story of Adam and Eve and the story of how sin, this plague, this virus, is first released into the world by their, by their actions. And since then, all of creation, all of humanity has borne that curse, the weight of that sin we've all had to carry from then on. And maybe you're watching this and you think this idea of sin or any curse from Adam and Eve might just sound like religious mumbo jumbo, the sort of thing that preachers like me say just to make people feel guilty. But if you just take a moment and think about the world around you, think about the injustices that you see, the pain, the suffering that you see, the breakdown in relationships, Perhaps if you even just look at your own hearts and see the selfish behaviour that we all exhibit. In this season, we see it quite evidently as people stockpile food. We've been in a, a desperate search in our house to find flour. And um, it doesn't seem to matter how quickly the supermarket shelves are stocked up, that people come and selfishly hoard all that they need and then... Other people aren't able to get the provisions that they're looking for. And it's just selfishness. And that's what sin, this plague, this virus, this curse right from the Garden of Eden, that's what that does to us, is sin turns you in on yourself. It makes you selfish. And often the way we respond is the same way that we respond to try and protect ourselves to a from a virus, we put lots of mitigations in place, lots of measures, lots of rules to try and protect ourselves, to try and make life work a little better. So one way that we do that is, I guess it's just a delusion. We, we trick ourselves into thinking that somehow we're immune, that the problems that other people face, the sin that other people seem to carry, is not going to affect us, that somehow that we're going to be able to avoid all those issues, which is just a delusion, really. Or maybe we turn to, to self-help. We just read lots of books and articles and podcasts and YouTube videos to give us some idea of how to better manage our lives, how to better prepare ourselves for life, the rules we can put in place to make us more productive, which... Many of those things are helpful and good. They're not necessarily bad. 
But one of the deceptiveness, one of the deceptive ideas of sin is to make us look inside ourselves for a solution. To make us, to trick us into thinking that maybe we have the solutions in here. We try and fix, we try and fix ourselves. Another thing we do is we put into place social distancing the same way we do with this coronavirus. Because sin is, is antisocial. Sin puts up barriers between us and other people. It might not be a, that we become physically distant, but we can definitely become emotionally distant from people. That we don't want to let people in on our lives. We don't want people to know what we're really like. We don't want people to see the darkness inside of ourselves. So we cut ourselves off from people. We close ourselves down. We don't want their help. We don't think that their help is going to be of any value to us. So we don't let them into our lives. Or I guess if perhaps if you're not a believer in Jesus, not a follower of him, you might say that one of the things we put in place to try and help us deal with these problems is, is religion. That we just create all sorts of religious structures to try and make us feel better about ourselves. You know, you might think, well, of course, humanity's fallible and has problems, but why is religious practice the answer? You know, why would you pursue a God who needs to be reached, this remote, distant, isolated God? Why would you spend your life trying to climb some kind of ladder of religious achievement to get toward him. And that's what many people in our society, in our city, think about God, is that he's just this distant figure, this legalistic, cold, oppressive figure. And what our city has done, our culture, in the Western world in particular, what we've done is we've removed God from, from the equation. Even when we see the, the issue of sin and the, the problem of the brokenness of our world, we don't think that God is the solution. And actually, people think that God's part of the problem, that religiosity has somehow cramped our freedom. And what we need is, is more freedom. So we remove God. We've taken him out of the picture because we see him as part of the problem. A few hundred years ago in, in London, between the years 1665 and 1666, there was a great plague that spread across London, a little bit like we're suffering now, but much more violent and deadly. And in, within just 18 months... 100,000 people in London died in just a year and a half. And one of the reasons that it was so brutal was that at the start of the plague, when it was just beginning to get started, they thought that the problem were cats and dogs, that cats and dogs were the carriers of the plague. So what they did is they eliminated all the cats and dogs, all the household pets and the stray animals. They, they killed them all because they thought that they were the carriers of the plague. But we know now from our vantage point in history, when we look back, that actually the problem was that the plague was actually being carried by rats. 
and that without the cats and dogs there, the rats just ran rampant across the city of London and carried the plague to thousands and thousands of homes and hundreds of thousands of people died because they saw something that they thought was the problem and they removed it, not realising that actually that was part of the answer, the solution. They got rid of these animals that could have helped save them and they made the problem so much worse. And in many ways, that's what our society has done with God. It's just seen God as part of the problem and has removed it. And what happens is this plague, this curse that's infected humanity, then just runs riot. You see, in the, 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 the God that our society has tried to remove, this distant, remote, absent, cold, legalistic, oppressive God, we don't believe in that God either. That's not the God that we believe in. See, because what we found in this creed that we've been going through, it talks about God in such rich, wonderful language. But this is the moment in the creed where it suddenly bursts into human history because this is what Jesus does. This is what happened when Jesus was born, is that he burst into the reality of human history. That the pursuit of God, that religious belief to be a follower of Jesus isn't about lots of steps we put in place to climb some kind of ladder that may somehow get us to God if we try hard enough. It's not about us stepping up to God. But the story of Christianity is that Jesus stepped down to us, that he came down to us, that he stepped into the, the reality, the broken, fallen reality of the world we live in. Because the passage you read in Luke chapter 1, the world of Luke 1 is not really that different from the world that we live in. Now, for sure, there have been improvements in science and medicine and technology and so many other things. You know, the software is so much better, but the hardware, us, <laughs> still carries the same fundamental flaw. Now, you might read this bit of the creed where it talks about this virgin birth and you might think surely this is this is the easiest bit for us to ignore we don't need to worry about this bit this is just a a relic from hundreds of years ago why do we need to why don't we need to worry about whether mary was a virgin or not why do we need to consider that to, today what what the virgin birth shows us is that God took divine initiative. God took divine initiative in that he stepped down to us. See, God doesn't exist outside of our time and space. He's not in some kind of different ether somewhere else in a different universe. He stepped down into our reality to be with us. And not just to be with us, but to become like one of us. This is the wonder of what we as Christians call the, the incarnation, that God took human flesh upon himself, that he entered the world 
as we all do, with tears and mess and labour and pain. It talks about in verse 31 of this passage, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And it's just the same as how we all entered the world. Jesus came into the world in the same way. And the virgin birth, it shows us that God is just like us and he arrived into the world just like we did, but also that he's thoroughly, he's unlike us. There's a, a continuity and a discontinuity that Jesus is very similar to us in his humanity, but in the virgin birth, he's also very different from us. Because the Bible speaks about this idea of what's called original sin or, or, or inherited sin. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, it's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all humanity because all sinned. It goes on to say in that passage that death reigned. That's what it says in Romans 5. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as in Adam all die. That we have this head of humanity, Adam, who ever since then there's been this curse of sin has permeated through all humanity. And all of us have carried this virus, this plague within us. We've inherited it all from Adam. And what God couldn't, what he didn't do was just, he didn't just kind of endow, he didn't just give a, a divine quality to a human. But God himself had to step in as one who was sinless. But the Holy Spirit was involved to bring life into Mary's womb so that a clear line, a clear division came between Jesus and the rest of humanity, that Jesus now becomes the head of a new humanity that follows in his line, that Jesus, this sinless one, stepped in to save us. See, Jesus entered the world in many ways, in the same way as we did. But he also entered the world as no one else has ever done. And he continued his life in this world as no one else has ever lived. And he died a death and he left this world in a way that no one else has ever done or ever will do. Now, perhaps I'm moving a bit too quickly for you. And you're thinking, hold on a second, I'm, I'm expected to believe uh, in this bizarre first century myth you know surely they believe that then but the virgin birth is just absurd it's just bizarre surely and those peasants from thousands of years ago they could have believed it but we we know better now now hold on a second don't be too much of a, a generational elitist because yeah the virgin birth sounds absurd now but it would have sounded absurd then and even we find that Joseph himself, Mary's husband, when you read the account of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Matthew, you find that Joseph's initial reaction is that he wants, he wants out. 
he, he decides, and he does it in an, he, he plans to do it in, a, in an honourable way, but he decides that that's the end of this relationship, that as perhaps we all would if we suddenly find out our, our, our wife-to-be is pregnant and you've had no involvement in the matter, then you'd have some serious questions. And Joseph makes this decision that he's going to step out and then God comes to him and uh, he changes his mind wonderfully. But he thought it was absurd. And people at the time, this has never not been an absurd thing, this idea of the virgin birth. But in many ways, if you think about it, surely it would be more absurd not to believe it. Because if Jesus was just another man, with just parents the same as we have, then what would our faith be? Surely we, we, we have to believe in a Jesus who has some, who's uh, both fully man and fully divine. That he's born of God. That's the Jesus that we want to believe in. And however absurd you might find this, we need to recognise that this is miraculous. It says here in this passage that nothing is impossible with God. And we also, as we've seen, as we've been talking about this, that we need a miracle. Again, if, if, if there wasn't a miracle here, perhaps we should be concerned. Perhaps this faith wasn't all it's cracked up to be. We need a miracle to save us from ourselves. See, because what God's miracles do is they don't require us to kind of suspend reality, to put our rational minds on pause and just forget them for a while. Rather, his miracles come as proof of what is really true. His miracles come to show us, give us a window into true reality. See, God doesn't pause reality at all. He doesn't suspend it. Rather, in this miraculous act of this virgin birth, he steps in to reality to rescue us. See, God took this divine initiative because we need a divine intervention. Because the reality is we need saving and we're unable to do it ourselves. If you think about this coronavirus for humanity, it's exposed our, our vulnerability, our, vulnerability our, our mortality, the fact that we're fragile the weak, that we can't protect ourselves from this thing. And yet if we really look into our hearts, we'll discover the same thing, that we're vulnerable, that we're weak, that we're helpless, that even when we try and improve ourselves and fix ourselves, we can make certain bits of our life better for sure, but we can never complete the job. We can't rescue ourselves and actually, the, the more you realise your own helplessness, the more you'll be able to enjoy the wonderful grace of God. Because we are all utterly helpless. Not only are we unable to secure our own salvation, but as a human race, we couldn't even introduce the one 
into the world who would win our salvation. God did it. It says in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, Jesus came for us, lived this perfect life, died for us and rose again to rescue us. Let me just share another. I know I've had lots of stories of viruses and plagues in this video. Let me give you one more from this, again from London, this time in the 19th century, about 150 years ago. A different plague this time. This was the issue of cholera, which was, would burst up from time to time. Um, still does in some parts of the world. But in London at this time, it would appear from time to time. And there was an outbreak in a, a, a part of London called Soho, particularly around a few streets, around a particular street called Broad Street in London. Uh, and at the time, they all thought that cholera was, was spread uh, through the air. The, the smog, the bad air quality in London was causing this cholera to spread amongst people. And it was, a, again, a particularly violent brutal disease that would basically suck all the moisture out of people's bodies and, and they would uh, the mortality rate, the death rate was very high. And there was one uh, doctor uh, who started to do some research because he didn't believe all the other theories that other people came up with. He didn't believe that it, it was spread through the air. He believed that it was spread through water. And through much research, he managed to pinpoint that there was a particular water pump. In those days, you didn't get water through a tap in your house, but you'd have a pump on your street where people would come down and the pump would go down into a well. People would pump out the water they needed for the day. And there was a pump on this street called Broad Street in Soho and London that was polluted, and the cholera was being spread around through this pump. And Jon Snow uh, discovered this, and eventually this scientific discovery changed how... Uh, cholera is dealt with all over the world and has probably saved millions of lives. But what they did in this situation is very simply, they just took the handle off the pump so that no one was able to use that pump anymore. And that's what, in a much broader, grander sense, that's what Jesus has done. He's intervened. That's what they had to do in London. They took away the handle and they intervened to bring about a rescue, a salvation. And that's what Jesus has done through this virgin birth. Jesus has intervened into human history to break the chain, the curse of sin and death. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, As in Adam all die, as we read earlier, but he goes on to say, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But through Adam sin and death reigned. But now through Jesus Christ, salvation and life reign. In Romans 5, it says, For if because of one man's trespass, because of Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God took divine initiative 
He sent Jesus to be born, this wonderful, pure, sinless one, to live this perfect, sinless life and to die for us, this miraculous, divine entry into humanity and his miraculous, divine death and resurrection has now broken the curse of sin and death. And now it means we can receive not just a little grace, but the abundance of grace. And the free gift, not something we've earned, not something we've climbed a ladder to get to, but a gift. The free gift of righteousness. That means we can reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He didn't share in the world's guilt and sin as a sinner, but he does bear our sins as our saviour. And what wonderful good news is this, is that Jesus has come for us, that when we were weak, when we were helpless, Jesus came to rescue us. That's the good news your hearts need to hear today. And it might be even in this season, that you're feeling pretty helpless right now. Pretty pressured and pretty weak, vulnerable. Well, the good news is, is that Jesus has this wonderful gospel truth keeps on being good news for us. It's not just good news when we first become followers of him. It's always good news for us. That what Jesus has started in us, he will work through to completion Often God wants us to be reminded. He wants us to know how helpless we are so we can lean into him again, to receive from him again, to enjoy this abundance of grace, this free gift of righteousness. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful faith we have. What a wonderful saviour we have. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much that all of us, if we, if we search our hearts, we know that we're sinful people that have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet the wonderful, good, good news is that we have a saviour who came as this pure, sinless one to live a perfect life and then to bear our sins, to break the curse of sin and death so that we no longer carry the curse of Adam. We're not under that anymore, but we're now those who are obedient, wonderful followers of Jesus Christ. And we get to enjoy this free gift of your abundant grace and righteousness. I pray right now for everyone watching this, that this truth would come alive in our hearts today. Maybe for people who aren't followers of Jesus. I pray that they would know today as they watch this your incredible love for them. That Jesus died for their sins and died so that they might reign in life through his grace. I pray for all of us that we would know this week your love and goodness in our lives. Amen.